Okay. Well, hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here today, and welcome to DLN's Expert Access Series. This is a closer look at important uh, topics within the architecture and design industry, uh, led by leading experts like Simone uh, today. Uh, our guest today is Simone Morris. She's the CEO of Simone Morris Enterprises. Uh, she is an award-winning diversity and inclusion leader, a consultant and speaker committed to helping companies like all of ours uh, create inclusive cultures. Uh, Simone has a background that includes over two decades working in uh, companies in America, spanning information technology, um, commercial strategy, and human resources in terms of her roles. And equity and inclusion, um, or as she says, equity and inclusion requires leaders like us to recognize the importance of all of our roles in the process of improving our workplaces and developing uh, really concrete plans to make a difference. So um, I'm really happy to have Simone here uh, today to uh, uh, help us kind of get started in thinking about some of this. I'm gonna turn off my uh, video while she's speaking um, and then I'll come back uh, as we get into the Q&A aspect of it. So uh, as always, please post your questions in the Q&A section and I'll be looking after that and getting ready to, uh, to ask questions of Simone uh, later on in the conversation here today. So uh, Simone, welcome and here you go. Thank you, Peter. It's such a pleasure to be here today. I, uh, I got into the Friday mode with the music. Uh, you know, anybody can get into the mode with Beyonce. So thank you, Megan, for the lively music and welcome. And thank you, Peter, for that awesome introduction. I am well pleased to be here. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And uh, I, I am living on purpose. I, I, I feel I have been called to teach others how to be inclusive. And I, I found this journey because I noticed that there was an opportunity that when I did a long stint in corporate America, I noticed that there were lots of efforts in the latter years to diversify the workplace. And I thought to myself, there is a huge opportunity for inclusion. What comes to, me, comes to mind for me this morning is uh, the Verna Myers quote. Verna Myers is the chief diversity officer for Netflix. And uh, she's done a very famous TEDx, or actually it's probably a TED talk, that has millions of views. And you may have heard her quoted and, and not uh, credited with this saying, but I love it. And anytime I talk about diversity and inclusion, I quote Verna Myers and she says, diversity is being invited to the dance. Inclusion is being asked to dance. And I think it's such a succinct definition of diversity and inclusion and, and can bring your attention to some of the challenges we face today with asking others to dance. And so in terms of my journey to this work, I notice a gap in asking others to dance and me feeling less than included many times throughout my career. And so that started to fan the fames of really doing this work and it's just grown over the years, even more so in 2020. So again, I'm happy to be here. I wanted to set the context of how I got to do this work and why it's so passionate for me. I, I get excited to talk to organizations about 
how do they transform their cultures into a more inclusive space? I get excited to look under the hood of the car, if you will, to see where the gaps are and, and what opportunities there are to create more employee engagement and again, a more inclusive culture. So again, happy to be here. Let's go ahead and get started. So my company is Simone Morris Enterprises. We have been around for about five years and it's really focused on inclu inclusive leadership solutions, bringing inclusive leadership solutions to the market we focus on doing some work around diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy, building strategies, consulting organizations, again, to my earlier point, on how to foster inclusive cultures. I coach senior leaders on, on the journey because it's not always an easy journey. And I also coach, uh, I, I do a bit of executive career coaching for developing more women leaders. I do training and speaking and writing. You name it, I'm swimming in the inclusive leadership solutions area. So I like to say our company is about transforming leaders and cultures. Well, what do we wanna talk about today? Today, I wanna to talk to you about the state of diversity and inclusion in 2020 and why this is a cataclysmic year for many, many organizations and industries alike, they are really recognizing that this is a competitive lever that can be used in business. And honestly, if they don't get on board, they will be left behind. And I'll tell you why um, or what's happening that's caused that. We will also talk about some best practices for inclusive cultures. I narrow this presentation down based on the time that we do have together, but uh, there's a lot of work to be done in this space, and I will highlight some of the best practices you can consider uh, to foster more inclusive cultures. And of course, we have an opportunity for questions during the presentation. I will at some point just want to know you are there and listening while I'm speaking for this time. So I, you may hear me say, type in the chat, if you will. So please feel free to type in the chat. I'm not reading it throughout my presentation, but at certain times I may say, just because I wanna hear from you, type in the chat if you will. So let's go ahead and talk about 2020, the state of diversity and inclusion in 2020. I think most people have heard the name George Floyd. George Floyd was a catalyst in 2020 that really shook the diversity and inclusion ecosystem. It really challenged everyone from an emotional standpoint in some cultures, from a not knowing what to do in an organization standpoint, because you have to understand that traditionally when we have conversations about race or um, challenges, politics, et cetera, those are usually left at the door. And what happened when George Floyd was murdered in May of this year is that there was evidence, there was video footage to show what was happening. And, the, and on top of that, there were many things happening with COVID and, and just a, a, um, additional racial issues that caused this to be a cataclysmic moment that forced the conversation into organizations, into associations, into everywhere you turned, this was 
pushing its way in. In addition, you couldn't go read the news or social media, it's there. And so I, I, I always talk about George Floyd because it's not that there haven't been other racial incidents that have happened, race equity and issues with the police. It's just that that was that cataclysmic moment where it was enough is enough in 2020. And it really changed the game when we talk about diversity and inclusion. Here are some other things that I want to mention that changed the game. Now, the I in inclusion signifies that people are fighting to be included. They want to be a part of, they want to feel included. And there are many challenges that we face where people are fighting to show that they matter. So I just talked about George Floyd, but that goes to the fact that there is a Black Lives Matter movement, if you will, that is not going to go away. It did not start in 2020 and has been around similar to the Me, the Me Too movement, which has been around for some time, but then something happens that sparks, gives it flame to, to uh, become a more important topic. And so we talked about the fact that George Floyd gave um, Black Lives Matter really a lot of momentum and it really started to showcase the many incidences of incidents of uh, police brutality and people began to surface names, more and more names. So we know of certain names or some folks may know of certain names like Trayvon Martin, but it, it started to showcase more names, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and just continued to showcase that. So there was a, um, a movement around my identity matters, my race matters, my color matters. So when you see me and you you mention I don't see color because you know I wasn't brought up that way. I don't see color. Now that became a problem to say that because the signifying message was you don't see me, you don't see my identity. So there's a lot of impetus around Black Lives Matter, if you will. Then there was a clash with Black Lives Matter to say, wait a minute, all police are not bad. Blue Lives Matter. So now it's a, a protection of the occupation. So it's, I want to be included and, and I'm, I don't want to be lumped in with the bad, the bad apple or the bad bunch. I matter. So my profession matters. I'm passionate about it. So Blue Lives Matter. And then there is All Lives Matter. Wait a minute. Everybody matters. Why should we be focusing on Black lives? You know, and so there is been a fight, if you will, consider an image of a tug of war where it's like, let me be included. No, let me be included. And so even from a sexual orientation standpoint, we had things like many years ago, the nightclub fire in Orlando that was due to uh, discrimination against sexual orientation. Um, and it, it, there's always a new hashtag with whatever's going on. A new hashtag is popping up to, to bring attention, uh, to get a grassroots, grassroots movement uh, towards what's happening. And so that was the sexual orientation conversation. And then, by the way, my physical abilities, disability matters, bring me into the workspace, make room for me so that I can have work there. Uh, it shouldn't matter that I have a visible or invisible disability. A lot of times we don't think about the invisible disabilities like um, mental issues, autism or, or um, Asperger's or uh, 
whatever it is, if you have a visual challenge, those are things that are coming into the workplace. And let's not forget the election. I, I, I bring up the election because traditionally, this is talk that is left outside. Let's not foggy or muddy the waters by having this conversation about your political affiliation. But in 2020, it's coming into the workplace. And if it's not coming into the workplace because of COVID, it's there when you are, um, when you are uh, doing Zoom presentations and people are in their environment and still thinking about the work environment, but they're still in their environment. So I'm bringing all these things up, whether it's racial equity, even uh, from a gender equity standpoint, there's a lot of conversation around pay, equal pay, and also ageism. Right now in the workplace, there's five different generations fighting for their voice to be heard. By the way, with all the stuff that's going on, white males are saying, I wanna be included. Why isn't there space for me in this conversation? There's a huge conversation around um, people of color and unpacking people of color to really look at uh, uh, black women. And so it, there is a lot. This, this is an impactful slide to just tell you that there are a lot of people fighting to be included. They wanna be invited to dance. So additional things to consider, we now have 51% of women in the workplace. And so you have to think about that from a, even if you think about a leadership standpoint and how many women you have in leadership, how many women are CEOs of companies today and how many women are on boards. And so there's been a huge push to, to invite women to the table, get their seat at the table. That's some of the language that's being used. I just referred to the fact that we've got baby boomers and we've got millennials and we've got all these different generations who think differently. So there's diversity of thought that we're contending with where, you know, you may have instances where the old timers believe that it's, it's more um, in terms of promotion, you do this, you move up, you move up, you move up in the organization and it takes a period of time where as a millennial may say, well, I should be able to come in and prove myself pretty quickly and up I go. And there may be challenges with conversation, the way we see things and access levels, et cetera. So you've got the generational pull. You've got the fact that the demographics are going to change in the world. That means that by the year 2030, 54% of the makeup of the world will be people of color. So you're talking about the dynamics shifting from minority and majority. And so the conversation must change and you must start to think about things like this. The diversity and inclusion conversation cannot be an afterthought. It, it simply cannot. It, it has to be a part of your strategic discussions and you have to think about how you can leverage these differences and similarities to do better in business. If you don't, you will get left behind. In fact, McKinsey has done a study that looks at companies who are leveraging racial equity and gender equity as a lens for business, how they 
their profitability is in fact more and significantly more. So this is something you want to be thinking about. Again, I mentioned the millennial generation. They are going to be uh, even more so in the organization in the next five years, 75% of them will be in the organization. Now here's something that I want you to remember, and this is Simone's motto that I have learned over the years, and I want to share with you. Every time I do this work, I share this message. This conversation, this inclusion journey is not easy. It is hard work. Some days are good and other days are challenging, but the key is to continue. So what I mean by that is there will be times when you make someone feel excluded and you have no idea that you have done that. You just are not aware. Uh, you hear the term unconscious bias and you know, you're, you're just not aware that you've done it, but you've done it nonetheless. And there's an impact to doing that. There could be an impact to employee engagement, productivity, um, you, you know, uh, your bottom line, your revenue as a result of what's happened, a trickle down effect. So, in terms of being an inclusive leader, you must be courageous. You must be self-aware. You must check yourself and continuously look at yourself for what's happening and how you're landing. And if you're not sure how you're landing, ask the question. You are, consider yourself lucky if someone plays back to you and say, hey, what you just said, this is how it landed for me. And this is how it, it made me uncomfortable. Understand that we're living in a, in a, a pretty, uh, an era that is, or a year that is emotionally raw. So perhaps something that you may say in 2019 would have just gone. In 2020, it, it does not. You may have seen in the news, I'm not sure, uh, Eva Longoria talking about the commitment from a Latin X perspective about voters and how she was in hot water. So you know, everything is being scrutinized right now. So this is a time that requires you to be courageous, to embrace differences, even if you don't understand it, but seek to understand. Also understand that you are going to what I call the bumble, stumble and rise. That's what I teach my students in my inclusion bootcamp that we are going to bumble, stumble and rise when it comes to inclusion. So know that you will falter on the inclusion journey and that the key is to forgive yourself and do better the next chance you get. So did wanna just put that out there and acknowledge that this is not easy work by any means, even for me as a practitioner who does this on a full-time basis. So what gets in our way of being inclusive? What are some of the things that get in the way? Type in the chat for me, if you will, uh, if you have ever felt excluded. You can put yes, if you feel like putting some context around it, please do so. But what gets in the way of you feeling excluded? Have you ever felt excluded? And as I was thinking about this, as we put this deck together, I thought, have you ever felt excluded at home? Perhaps an example is you're caring for an aging parent and you're having to make decisions and you are at the doctor's office and you are engaging on behalf of your parent and your parent is not feeling included in the conversation. Maybe there's challenges to including them in the conversation, but it could be something as simple as that and not recognizing it. What about the workplace? Have you ever felt excluded in the workplace or gone to a networking event? I remember going to a networking event and I sat down at a, at a um, 
I sat down at a table. It was a, uh, it actually was a diversity and inclusion conference. And I sat down, it was lunchtime and someone asked me to get up and I was, I was thinking to myself, uh, okay. <laughs> and I got up and they said, this table is for this company. And I said, okay, but I got up and I left, but I was thinking to myself, well, this is interesting. This is a diversity and inclusion co uh, conference and there are tables specifically for companies who've sponsored this event, but, but we should always be on the lookout for inclusion opportunities and how we deliver the message so that people don't feel excluded. So I say that to say that whether it's even a place of worship, whether it's on social media where someone has said something on LinkedIn or Facebook and you're like, wow, that's not true. And you feel excluded. It's not a good feeling, is it? So even a PTA meeting, I recently attended a PTA meeting and I was the only person, I was the only black parent on the call. And I thought to myself, where's everybody else? I'm pretty sure I'm not the only black parent in this school, where's everybody else? And um, I ended up sending a letter to the principal to ask and inquire about the demographics of the school and the engagement of parents from a diverse standpoint. And then I sent a note to the PTA, just, I think it's because of what I do for a living and I'm noticing and wondering a lot, but start to notice and start to wonder about what you see and the different experiences that you have from an inclusion opportunity standpoint. I bet that you'll start to notice a lot more and you yourself might think, ah, I, I have felt excluded and it doesn't feel that great. So if it's so simple, why don't we just be inclusive? You know, I, I, the thing that popped into my mind right now was, um, I believe it was Rodney King back in the day, why can't we, why can't we all just get along? If it's so simple, why don't we just do it? Why don't we just do it? Why is it so hard? Well, there's a couple reasons. Number one is we have been taught the right way of doing things. Think about it, as a child, your parent taught you this is the right way to do it. I, I do it today. I have a five-year-old daughter and I, I am constantly correcting her. No, honey, this is the way, this is the right way to do this. And so as you get older, you're challenged because you, it has been ingrained in you. This is the right way to do things. Here's an example. I've been taught to say good morning when I get into the elevator. And I remember getting into the elevator at work and mixing and mingle with mingling with senior leaders and having people get into the elevator and not say good morning. And it just, it, if we look at the other image with the eye, it gave me a belief which may or not be, maybe false or maybe true, but what does it say about you if you don't say good morning and how does it make me feel? Does it make me feel like you see me and, and uh, are including me or you're too busy? But these are some of the things that, it may sound simple, but these are some of the things that when I do focus groups and listening sessions, people mention to me, such and such leader can't even say good morning. They don't even know my name and I've worked for the company for X amount of years. Or these seemingly trivial or small data points don't seem like a big deal, but they actually are. But we've been taught the right and wrong way. And what's happening now is that we are contending with the right and wrong way and how we navigate with the lessons that we have been taught in life. The other thing is that what we see, the fast brain, the amygdala teaches us to make fast 
judgments. So based on our life lived experiences, we make that fast judgment about someone. So whether it's from a recruiting, hiring perspective, or do we wanna engage with this person, et cetera, we're making fast decisions and we have to challenge our assumptions because our fast decisions are not necessarily true. Additionally, we're, we're all carrying around baggage and wounds, et cetera, that we, again, back to that lived experience we have that colors how we interact with others. So these are some of the things that get in the way of being inclusive. Ah, what you came here for, the best practices. Let's start to talk about them. I felt it was important to give you some context of why these best practices are in fact important. So let's go ahead and look at them. What I wanna to talk to you about today is really uh, four best practices. I have about eight or so, but I'm gonna to talk to you about four today. And so those four are, Canceling the one and done culture. The one and done culture is, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but canceling the one and done culture, listening frequently, learning from others, and of course, walking the talk. So let's get right into those different best practices. One size shoe does not fit all. What does that mean? It means that you cannot expect to have a single diversity and inclusion training and expect that people are trained and that they get it. Because you are dealing with years and years of people operating of how they normally operate and what they have been trained to do. And you in the workplace offer this, yes, we're having a, across the board, we're having a diversity and inclusion training or we're having a mandatory harassment, sexual harassment training and people get it. We know that's not true, or there wouldn't be so many cases at the EEOC from a discrimination standpoint of race, sexual orientation, even uh, physical abilities. Those are still happening in 2020. So the one and done training is a concept that does not work. In my mind, you need to consistently train your staff. What I teach in my inclusion bootcamp course is that consider the gym, if you will. If you went to the gym once during COVID and, uh, you, you lifted a, a weight and you left and, and that was back in April and you didn't go back and we're now in November. Are, are you fit physically, mentally? You know, do you feel healthy? Probably not, but that's what's happening with many companies offering the training. They think that they're checking the box from a compliance standpoint that yes, we do have this diversity and inclusion. Uh, we have some training in our organization, but it's more than that one-off training. You must consistently train your staff. And if you don't have support to train your staff, you have to get that support. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you go to the gym and you can't get there by yourself, wouldn't you get a personal trainer to hold you accountable to keep you working out? Well, it is the same thing from a training standpoint. You must move past the one and done culture and recognize that there's an opportunity, there's a humongous opportunity to continuously train your staff on how to be inclusive leaders so that they can in fact foster an inclusive culture. And this is not something that is just at an organization level, it is also at a individual level. Again, back to my bootcamp course, it's I train individuals on how to meet the organization halfway. The organization can provide framework in terms of money and, and time, creating space for employees to learn, but, and they can also create space to innovate with diverse vendors, 
um, provide recognition and reward opportunities. These are some ideas that organizations can do, but the individual has to do work. So you, you as an individual can't come into work and say, I am this way at work. I step out the door and I am another way. Because then you're challenging yourself as an inclusive leader because you're, you're, some of the terms that have come up in 2020 is code switching. That was a, a term that really came up with uh, black and brown folks in 2020 of how they've had to code switch, meaning put on a good face and come into the organization and perform. Okay, change my face when I come out of the organization. So you're having to ask individual, each individual in your organization to do some work to build those muscles outside so that they can show up differently to the workplace. So that's when I, what I mean when I say cancel the one and done culture that individuals and organizations alike in 2020 are going to have to do some work and it cannot be that one uh, professional development opportunity that you attended. Number two, listen frequently to your employees. There are employee engagement surveys that are done and they may be done annually. And you know uh, some companies may do them more than once a year, but listen frequently and also understand that everyone does not share their innermost thoughts on your survey. So you have to think about different ways to consume the information. You have to provide anonymous opportunities to gain feedback from your employees. What could that look like? You could hire a third party to conduct listening sessions. A lot of, a lot of what was happening in 2020 was uh, listening sessions with um, different companies wanted to hear what their employees were feeling and thinking about the race conversation. So many DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultants were hired to come in and listen to what employees were saying. And by the way, this was not just a, a black or brown conversation. It's listen uh, to what all employees, it would provide the opportunity for all employees to share their viewpoint on what's happening. And because you need to hear because it's impacting how people show up. If you ignore the elephant in the room, it, it is still there. And so I said the same thing earlier this week in a presentation that I was doing that, did you talk about the election or did you just kind of let it, I hope nobody brings it up, I hope nobody causes any trouble, it's still there. And so think about the numbers in terms of uh, political parties and, and, and the, the disconnect or the tug of war. If we just use the numbers where you've got 71 million people for, for Donald Trump and, and then you know President-elect Biden, you've got um, a certain amount. We don't all agree. And so to ignore that that's happening and not pr provide space to acknowledge that that's happening, that, that could come back and really challenge you. And so I was heartened earlier this week to hear from some of my students that some of their companies were having conversations about the election and how people are feeling just to do a temperature check on inclusion, if you will. So listen to your employees, listen to what's going on and not just listen, you've got to do something about what you hear. So whether it's demonstrating empathy for what you hear or having a plan, hey, maybe we're gonna put a task force together and we're gonna take some of the ideas that came up in the listening sessions. We're gonna see what we can do in the organization to implement some of the thoughts or ideas or suggestions that came up. 
you must report back on what you have heard. So listen and listen frequently. Check your temperature. What's happening right now with COVID? Every time we go to the doctor, you know, um, there's a series of questions for vetting for COVID. Every day, you know, bringing your child to school or even back to the doctor, they're checking the temperature to see your temperature before you can come in. I've had that when I brought my mom to the doctor. They checked both our temperatures. They asked us a series of questions about COVID. It's checking frequently. Why? To see if you have COVID or to see if there's a problem. So I suggest to you, you have got to listen frequently to your employees. Some of you may have employee resource groups where these are affinity groups based on different slices of the diversity dimension, whether it's gender, whether it's sexual orientation, it could be even veteran status, it could be even a parent group. You may have these listening think tanks or listening internal focus groups, if you will, where you can listen to information from these different groups about what are their challenges? What are their retention challenges for the organization? What does this demographic piece of the pie think? And what are their suggestions? And again, employee engagement survey, take all these data points and do something with them. So listen frequently is the second best practice. Now, number three is benchmark benchmark to learn from others. If this diversity and inclusion conversation is new to you and you're thinking, this is a good idea, we've, uh, we've got to do something in our organization, I'm not really sure what to do. I suggest to you that there are surveys out there where you can learn from what others are doing, even from an industry standpoint, to learn from others. What comes to mind for me is one of the recognized uh, vehicles in the diversity and inclusion space, and that is Diversity Inc. Top 50. They look at the top 50 companies for diversity and inclusion, and they go across industries and provide data. Working mother, if you're wanting to attract uh, or speak to speak to the working mother in the workplace, you can check out Working Mother or National Association of Female Executives. They, they actually also have diversity best practices, have best companies for multicultural women. And what I like about these surveys is that they're showcasing lessons from each of these companies and why they won. So that's something that you can look at. HRC looks at sexual orientation. They give uh, a certain score, you can get 100% on the survey for engaging with the lesbian, gay, gay lesbian, transgender, uh, queer community. They're monitoring what companies are doing and how they're showing up and you can gain some insights on how to partner with them. So look at best places to work, look at Glassdoor. There's so many opportunities to see what others are doing. You wanna take some time to learn from others. And that is the third best practice. Now let's look at uh, Diversity Inc. I just talked about Diversity Inc. So here are the top 50 companies for 2020. Does anybody notice what number 11 is? Does anybody notice what number 11 is? Yes, thank you, Lauren. Yes, and thank you for sharing, Danica, uh, is that Daniela or Danica, sorry, uh, Rebecca, thank you, thank you. I'm seeing your comments in the chat space. Thank you for engaging. 
Yes. Number 11 is Wells Fargo. And what happened to Wells Fargo? So Wells Fargo is a top company for diversity and inclusion. Their CEO was speaking and made a comment. And that's what's happening in 2020. Remember I talked about Eva Longoria. She was on an interview. She made a comment and it went to Twitter. <laughs> it went to social media and she then came back and issued an apology. Same thing with Wells Fargo. He was speaking and made a comment about how difficult it was to find black talent. And he, uh, it, it really caused them an issue. It caused them an issue from a revenue standpoint because what happened in 2020 is there's something that's called performative ally. And it means that you are not walking your talk on this inclusion journey. It means that you are reacting to what's happening in the marketplace. You're not proactive. And so what happened with Wells Fargo when their CEO made that comment is people began to look at Wells Fargo's history. They were looking for evidence to support the fact that they don't think that the CEO is walking the talk and that they're truly inclusive. And data started to surface about Okay, here is what Wells Fargo did to shut out uh, the black community from uh, mortgages, um, accounts, it, it, all sorts of buried data came to the forefront. And as a result, people gave up their Wells Fargo account. So they felt a revenue impact for that one comment. And now I'm sharing that because I'm telling you to learn from the people that are on the list for doing diversity and inclusion well. I say that to say, go back to the Simone Truth Serum or my bumble stumble rise comment. We are going to bumble, stumble, but we must rise. And rise is what Wells Fargo is doing. They're doing some additional things uh, to clean up what's happened uh, from the CEO's comment. And that can happen. If you don't have talking points or coaching for your CEO, and then they just you know go and present and there's some cleanup that has to has to happen because there were articles written in Forbes about it. I, I mean, it, there were it, there was a lot of backlash to what happened with Wells Fargo earlier this year. Here is another view. So we talked about leveraging resource groups for listening. So you could go to Diversity Inc. and take a look at the top companies who are doing that well and learn from what they did. Um, I also suggest following some of the companies who are doing it well. So um, Jamie Dimon on LinkedIn is the CEO of JP Morgan Chase, and they made an outrageous donation recently. Uh, I, I'm talking billions that they want to commit to really creating racial equity. And there's a lot of work that's going on. But here's the CEO who is on LinkedIn talking about, continuously talking about inclusive leadership. So. You know, this is going to lead into my next point about walking the talk. Here, here's the uh, CNBC talking about Wells Fargo. Also, Ernst & Young was on the list. And from a women's leadership standpoint, they got a lot of backlash last year because they had a leadership training and they were training women how to dress and act nicely around men, which just caused a lot of uh, anger and... Um, a lot of challenges for them as well. So take uh, the benchmarking lessons with a grain of salt. Uh, as I said, learn from others 
and uh, be sure to uh, course correct and, and give yourself grace. Celebrate on this journey. Continue to invest in your inclusion journey. That's the message I want to share from you from share with you from these benchmarking lessons standpoint. And of course, the last best practice is really around walking your talk. You have got to walk the talk. So if you're saying that, yep, I'm on board with diversity and inclusion, and you have a board with all white men, you are not walking the talk. You may be on the journey to walking the talk, but you're not walking the talk and you've got some work to do, some changes to make in your organization. If you're saying I'm all about, I'm all inclusive and, and you're looking at your leadership team and you know, take a look at the image that's circulating around the, um, the internet about the vice president, uh, where it showcases all white men being vice presidents and one black woman and the message that it sends. Recruitment, are you recruiting in talent? Or are you hiding behind exclusionary language? I can't find talent. So I'm only fishing in one place where I usually fish. Let's go to this school and I usually go there and that's where top design talent is. And so I just can't find this talent that I'm looking for. So there's work to do. And there's also a CEO action committee that you can join where other CEOs are having the conversation about how do I truly be, how do I truly create inclusive workplaces? So that's got about 500 or so CEOs that are part of that CEO action committee. And I know that uh, people like PayPal is one of the companies that are on that CEO action committee. And you can just see the language and how um, their CEO, Dan Schulman, is showing up on LinkedIn and what, what they're doing. So in terms of benchmarking, PayPal is another company that you could, in fact, uh, benchmark and look at what they're doing. So here's a bonus best practice. Nix the exclusionary language. Stop saying, I don't know where to find diverse talent. You may feel that way, but challenge your assumption that you don't know where to find diverse talent and look, fish somewhere else to find the diverse talent that you seek. Be uh, open, be creative, innovative on how you can partner to bring the diverse talent into your organization. Check your snap judgment, the quick judgment that we talked about. By the way, it's in the first three to five seconds that we size people up. You made some judgment about me when you came on this call and saw, or even when you saw that I was presenting, you, your fast brain immediately made some judgment. So check your behaviors, assumptions, and judgment about others. And check the copy that you have on recruiting materials because you could actually be excluding people without knowing that you are based on the language. And there are software like Textio that you can use to scan your recruiting work to see your job postings, excuse me, your job postings to see if you are in fact excluding people. So again, our best practices we talked about today, cancel the one and done culture, one and done training, listen at every opportunity to your employees and others around you. In fact, you can probably do some things around reverse mentoring from a generation standpoint where uh, you're learning from millennials or learning from other generations. Learn from others, walk the talk, walk the talk. <sighs> I said a lot. So there's an opportunity for us to have questions. If you wanna stay con uh, connected with me, I have this six week bootcamp course that I teach leaders how to add inclusion to their toolkit and, and leverage it. So it's a six week course around uh, building your inclusive leadership muscles. And I, I am in the midst of one right now and we'll be running it all of 2021. And we have a uh, 
inclusive leadership membership community. It's a paid community where you get regular training and book study and, and um, just an opportunity to connect with others that are on the uh, inclusion journey. There's an executive roundtable for conversations about the inclusive work. So ilcmembership.com, those are two ways to stay connected with me. And with that, I'm going to bring Peter back in. And so I can take a break, but just kind of listen to what you're feeling and what questions you have. Thank you so much for having me at DLN. Uh, thanks, Simone. Um, I think um, what we're looking to do now is just uh, in the next um, five or 10 minutes, see if people have questions. Uh, the Q&A place is the best place to put them, but I see some in the chat box. So um, as an example, uh, Simone, just to get started, can you provide an example of a job post that might look exclusionary? Just so we have a context for you know, what, what kinds of mistakes people make and that we might not even be aware of. Yeah, you could put the whole kitchen sink that you're looking for. Um, must have a bachelor's degree must have 10 years of industry experience, must have X, Y, Z. Studies show that from a gender standpoint, when women look at the list of requirements for jobs, they are checking, yep, I have this, checking, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have, oh, oh, okay, I don't have this, I don't have this, okay, I'm not gonna apply. Where men, they'll go ahead and apply anyway. So you may unintentionally signal to women that they shouldn't put their hat in the table. There's also language that if I'm a working mother and you're saying um, must be available all the time, um, you know, just the workload, if it's coming across in your job description where it feels like I'm not gonna be able to balance my life outside of the workplace as a working mom, then I'm not gonna throw my name into the ring. So there are different examples. And what I mentioned Textio is something that you could look at because it actually, you could put the job description in and it will go in and it will provide a rating, a score, if you will. This job description it gets a 70 and here's why. Here are the inclusion opportunities. Consider tweaking it this way, this way. Thanks, Laura, for posting the site in the, in the chat. Yeah, and I, I think a question that often gets asked uh, when I talk to people in our um, industry is, what um, what are, the, are some of the um, specific places that you would go looking to recruit if you're looking to find candidates that wouldn't come up, say in LinkedIn or some of the more obvious places? Well, I would think about the schools that I'm recruiting from. I would think about who's doing your recruiting. Do you have diversity from a recruiting standpoint or do you have one dimension recruiting? So do you just have females? Do you just have white females? Do you just have white males? Is there an opportunity for you to diversify your recruiting staff? Because what I'm talking about is that we are all showing up with bias based on how we have been raised, how we've been taught, our life experiences. And if you have this table and you only have certain people at the table and they are the ones who are looking, they're contending with their snap judgments, have you provided training to them on how to eliminate hiring bias so that when they're looking, they are able to put the bias at bay. Most companies, have, that's an opportunity for them. So you're expecting people to bring diverse talent in and they may be tackling some internal things that are not visible. 
right? Um, just trying to keep up with the, the places that people are posting things. Um, I think there's a question here that maybe you can help to uh, orientate the conversation a little bit to um, size of company. And maybe, um, you know, because our industry is made up of so many much smaller firms than large corporations that are part of these, you know, uh, big programs that you're citing, can you help us to think about size of the company as it relates to all of your comments? Well, give me some context, Peter. So tell me where, tell me more than LinkedIn. Because when I, when people tell me they recruit on LinkedIn, I said, with what criteria do you re recruit on LinkedIn? Oh. How do you determine who to reach out to on LinkedIn? So give me some context for the companies with 30 or uh, fewer employees. How do you find talent? Where do you, I, give, I, me a, give me a design specific in the chat, if you will. Give me specifics of where are you looking for talent? And then I'll comment and provide you some feedback. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for someone to respond, but I think maybe you could just answer in general about you know, what your observations are in thinking about uh, size of company as it relates to all of your comments here. I'm a small company. And I, uh, so I have to be intentional as an inclusive leader. So intentional from a, uh, where do I shop? Uh, where, who do I partner with? So it could be vendors, vendors that you work with. It, maybe it's not hiring because you have a small team and you don't have uh, headcount opportunities. Vendors that you work with, you could partner with organizations. If you want to bring more veterans into your organization, you could partner with a veterans association to bring in diverse talent. Uh, you could look at schools. You could provide internships at different schools. You could showcase, you could be at a career expo, um, a diverse career expo where you show up and you do a presentation from an employer branding awareness and stand in that space. So it doesn't have to be recruiting. Um, and, and, and to the comment that my comments are for large organization, let's talk about cancel one and done training. What training do you do as an inclusive leader individually for you and for your staff of 30 or 15? What training do you do? Do you do one training a year is your expectation that you can tackle the diversity and inclusion challenge with one training a year? So that goes across the board, no matter if you're a large organization or a small organization, even myself, I have been intentional about looking at the training that I commit to. I have a professional development plan, an annual professional development plan. And so I put on there um, opportunities for me to learn about cultures. For example, I recently attended a Hispanic heritage celebration and it was very insightful for me. I kind of felt, man, I, where's the four years of Spanish that I had? I don't, you know, because they were speaking in Spanish and I was, I danced with discomfort. I would suggest to you as individuals striving for inclusive leadership and somebody put in the chat that they were the only white person in a Black Lives Matter conversation. You got to dance with the discomfort. It is not always gonna be comfortable, but consider that many folks have been dancing with discomfort for many, many years. Yeah. I'm just reading what's in the chat here so we can make sure that we 
Um, can, can you maybe just talk a little bit about um, examples of the training so we can just be a little bit more specific? Um, so when you say training, are you talking about uh, some of these um, webinar style uh, programs that you know we, we see that you can purchase and uh, ask employees to undertake? Or are you talking about more live training? Can you talk about you know, the range of training that might be available? Yeah, I mean, there's training for your recruiting staff, uh, how to recruit with an inclusion lens. There's training out there for marketing. How do you do a good job as a marketer using inclusionary language? How do you build up your employer brand? What sort of training are you looking at? Is it only training from a, let me understand the concepts, but I think it's pulling that training back and really understanding more about what you can do to move the needle, to use what you know as a competitive lever. If you think about it, giving employees an overview of what diversity and inclusion means doesn't necessarily provide to them the tools that they need to then translate that to the bottom line revenue dollar. So here's an example. The, if you have resource groups. If you don't, because you're saying some, most of you are small and you don't have resource group, there's actually resource groups on LinkedIn. If you went on LinkedIn and looked up employee resource groups, there are groups that you could join to educate yourself on a culture, or even let's say you wanted to learn more about LGBTQIA. You could join a resource group that is talking about the challenges that that subsect of the diversity dimension faces. And then start to think and think creatively and be open about what you could do to target that market. You could also say, I wanna partner with the HRC so that I can figure out how do I tap into that market? Because I think there's an opportunity to bring more product to that market. And maybe our products aren't speaking to that segment of the population. You could partner with, um, you know, I, I think there's a black designers or black architects uh, network that you can, partner with. Right. <clears throat> um, can, and I think we'll just have one last question here because we're kind of, we're getting to the end of our time, but <clears throat> um, uh, someone's sort of posting the question here. Uh, training is one component. Uh, there's also sort of the day-to-day -day role we play as leaders. Can you just uh, give us a couple of pointers about how we um, maintain the conversation on a day-to-day -day basis as we go through our you know, the work, work life on, uh, you know, meetings and, and everything else that's happening within our firms on a day-to-day -day basis? Yes. So I, I'm trying to read some of the comments to help you with processing the comments as well, Peter. So I'm here. <laughs> and, and, and Rebecca, thank you. I, I'm glad that you have a million questions. I want you to have a million questions because this is a challenge. We have questions and we don't have a safe space to ask the questions. So yes, I want you to leave with questions just populating in your head so that you do something about it. We only had an hour together, so it was a short time. But well, you can stay connected with me on LinkedIn or <clears throat> you can get trained in the inclusion bootcamp course. Um, here are a couple of things. We always have a device in our hand. Here's my cell phone. There are now apps. There's an app called Everyday Inclusion that gives you an inclusion tip every day. Maybe that's something you roll out to your entire staff. Think about, think about different ways that you show up and how you can use this. Try to learn about different cultures so that you can have different perspectives. Put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable for you and see how long, if you can only stand five minutes, stay five minutes. Maybe the next time you'll be able to stay 10 minutes. 
but, but dance with discomfort to build your cultural competency. I went into the Hispanic heritage celebration and for most of it, it was in Spanish. And I was saying, what are they saying? Why I, I was picking up a word here and there and there. And um, I just kind of sat with my fast brain who was like, okay, let me check out and just kind of sit with it and see what I take away from the session. So there are opportunities. It's not just, I'm at work and I need this opportunity as opportunity on social media. What, here's what I would say. Don't ignore the elephant in the room. We're living in a really trying time where race is a big conversation, gender is a big conversation, sexual orientation is a big conversation, the election is a big conversation, the divisiveness of the country is a big conversation. Don't stop ignoring it. It is there whether you talk about it or not. And what we have learned from 2020 is that silence means or signals complicit. And so figure out how to have a conversation. And even if you preface it by being vulnerable by saying, I don't even know what to say about this. I just, sometimes I'll, I'll speak or I'll teach and I, I'll stop what I'm doing. I'll stop my presentation and say, there's an elephant in the room. Something's going on that I don't know about. Can someone just speak up or do we need to hold space and talk about the election and how you're, fe I feel like there's something here that prevents us from being productive. Let's just have a conversation. And even if it's one-on-one -on -one with a friend, it's like, I don't even know what to say to you about the election. Or, or how are you feeling as a black person? I don't want to put, I know you don't speak for all black people, but how are you doing? And then that opens the door and be vulnerable. I don't know what to say. You, so we have to learn to be vulnerable. I hope well, that's helpful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Simone. I'm sure we could, I feel like we're just getting warmed up here, but um, unfortunately we do try to keep these on, on schedule here. And I want to thank you so much for your time. I'm sure there are a lot of people who on this, um, in this conversation and who also will listen to this uh, on the recording who will want to get in touch with you. So uh, we'll be happy to share your information and look for more ways to uh, continue this conversation um, as we look out to 2021. Believe it or not, everyone, this is our last export access of 2020, uh, the 25th one that we've produced since um, uh, the May timeframe. So we're um, super excited to have had this uh, series develop and to be able to invite people like Simone to touch us on a um, consistent basis. It's, um, it's been very exciting. I also wanna of course take the time uh, right now to invite all of you to register for our virtual summit. Um, you can go to our website to find the link, but we're incredibly excited to have all of you uh, participate in that. And please remember that all the registration fees for this year's uh, summit are going to our new 501c3 charity the Design Leadership Foundation, who's, uh, which is dedicated to investing in education and diversity initiatives within the design industry. And so it's a very, uh, hopefully a powerful way for you to signal your interest and intent uh, by uh, helping us to instigate this um, new organization uh, that we think will make a difference out there. And so thank you everyone for your time today and uh, have a great day. Bye. Thank you.